all-powerful and that can do anything and everything. And I wish, to, I wish that, that, that all of us would get a hold of that and get a grasp on that fact tonight and just really get that anchored in our soul. We need to get that anchored in our spirit and in our soul tonight. We need to get our, our mind renewed to the fact that God can do anything and everything that you need Him to do in your life and that there's nothing too hard for Him and nothing impossible with Him. And you know, what with man, what, what is impossible with man is what? It's possible with God. Can I get an amen? We read in the Bible, all through the Word of God, some great things that God did. We know that God is able to even stop the earth from rotating on its axis. You say, are you sure about that? Well, He did it for Joshua when Joshua needed some extra time. You talk about daylight savings time. God had that thing way back in the Bible, amen? But, but when, when Joshua needed more daylight to fight the battle and, and he prayed that the sun would stand still, and it did for a whole day. The sun didn't go down. What, what happened? Well, we know the sun doesn't actually rise and set or move, but the earth rotates on its axis. And so for the sun to stand still and for there to be a whole period of daylight like that, God had to just put the brakes on the earth and to stop it from rotating on its axis. At one point in time, God even made it back up and go in reverse. How many knows that? When Hezekiah, when Hezekiah was Hezekiah was healed, and God, uh, he asked for a sign, or God asked him, said, "What sign do you want to to, to show you this?" And he said, "Do you want the the uh, the sun, the shadow on the sundial to go forward uh, ten degrees or backward ten degrees?" He said, "Well, it's no big thing for it to go forward. If you want to do something, let's do something hard and back it up." And God backed up the earth and turned it backwards for 10 degrees in the shadow of the sundial of Ahaz. Actually, that's a, that's a powerful God. That's, a, my, that's the God that we serve tonight. Amen? He's able to, to do anything. The Red Sea felt the breath of God as the children of Israel marched out of the land of Egypt. And the Red Sea felt the breath of God as a strong east wind. And the Bible says in Exodus 15 and 8 that it was the blast of, from the nostrils of God that split the Red Sea and rolled those waters back for the children of Israel to walk across on dry ground. The rough and the rugged terrain of Mount Sinai became holy ground when God set a bush on fire that would not burn up, amen? And Moses is out there keeping Jethro's sheep and he said, I have got to see this strange sight. And he goes over to that bush where God speaks to him from that burning bush, a bush that's on fire and could not be consumed. That's the God that we serve tonight. That's the God that I serve. See, God has power over men and God has power over angels and God has power over nations and over nature and over Satan and over death. And God's power has been known to level mountains. It's been known to hold back storms. He commands devils and demons and angels and they obey His word. He 
hurled the worlds into existence. He put the stars in the space. He put the planets and the sun and the moon where they are today. He owns all the cattle on a thousand hills and all the gold and the silver that are in them hills. I'm talking about a God tonight that can do everything. Hallelujah. He's your God tonight. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. His power is unlimited. His power is almighty. But let me ask a question tonight. Since we, and I think we're all in agreement here tonight, that what I've told you is true. But who can impose any limits on an, on, on an omnipotent, all-powerful God? Well, we would say nobody. We, we can, and this is not my message tonight. We can, through various unbelief, doubt, things, can impose God, what God can do for us personally. But there are some things, after now getting everybody fired up and excited about God's power and omnipotence, which is all true, but there are some things that the Bible tells us that this almighty God cannot do. I'm getting a few, I'm getting a few Church of Christ nods. All right. But there are some things that God cannot do. And uh, that's what I want to look at tonight. Five things that God, this almighty, all-powerful God that you and I serve tonight, five things that He cannot do. And the very first one is this. And I think you'll, you'll, you'll see what we're talking about here. But the very first thing is that God cannot lie. Oh, hallelujah. I, I'm feeling something here tonight. I, I'm just taking my time. Oh, is that okay? I'm feeling something tonight. But God cannot lie. Hebrews 6 and 18 makes that statement and says that it is... The writer of Hebrews goes this, as far as to say that it is impossible. Now, there's nothing impossible. We've already read to you that with God, nothing's impossible except this. Now, it's, and listen, this is not a contradiction of Scripture in any way. But the writer of Hebrews said that it's impossible for God to lie. I tell you what, I'm glad to know that tonight, that God cannot lie. 1 Samuel says this in 15 and 29. It says that God, the strength of Israel, cannot lie or repent, which means to change his mind, for he is not a man that he should lie. One of my favorite passages is in Numbers 23 and verse 19 where, where the Word of God says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? So I'm going to tell you, if God said something, if God's promised something, if there's something that He has said in this book, 
I want you to know tonight that it is true because the God I serve cannot lie. Everything that comes out of his mouth is truth, amen? Jesus said the words that I speak unto you, they are, they are truth, they are life, they are spirit. His word is true. Can I get an amen? Oh, I wish that we as God's people could understand and get a grasp on that. The Bible says in Proverbs 30 and 5 that every word of God is pure. And that word pure is an interesting word because when we think about that, we know that. And it didn't just say, you know, we've got folks today say, well, you know, we don't need the Old Testament and we don't need this and we don't need that. Some are even saying we don't need the Gospels. All we need is the Pauline epistles. And, but, you know, every word of God is pure. The Bible says that all Scripture, not some of it, but all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And that means that it's God-breathed and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the people of God may be matured or perfect and thoroughly furnished to all good works. But the Bible there says that the Word of God is pure. And that word pure means to test or to prove true or to be flawless. The word pure there has reference to uh, the Word of God being refined, which means we talked a little bit the other night Wednesday night about the refining process, how that gold is refined by being ground up and put in a, in a, in a cauldron and, 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 and uh, heated up very, very hot, going through the fire, and that when it goes through the fire, it's melted down, all the impurities float to the top, and then that's skimmed off, and you have pure gold. That's the word that's used here for the Word of God, that the Word of God is tried. In other words, it is pure. It has no, there's nothing in the the Word of God that is impure. There's nothing that is false. There's nothing that is untrue about what is in this book. God's Word is true. And you and I need to understand that tonight and, 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 and you know, believe in God's integrity. At least believe that what God said, that he, he said in His Word that He meant the promises that He's given to the church, that He meant them. We need to believe that tonight and know that what, what, what are all the things that the New Testament says that we have in this covenant that we have with, with the Lord through Jesus Christ that's ratified by His blood, that everything that Jesus died on the cross to provide for us, has given us there in the New Testament, and what God says is ours tonight belongs to us. It doesn't make any difference what the devil says about it. The devil can say it's not so. The devil can say you can't have it. The devil can say it's not for you. But I want you to know if God said it, I believe it tonight because God cannot lie. It's impossible for him to lie. Amen. That means you can put your confidence in this book. You can rest your eternal soul in this book because if he said something, there's, it's impossible for any word spoken by Almighty God to be an untruth. He is true. His word is true. And when he speaks, it is truth. You've got to put your faith in that and believe that. Amen. It's impossible. That's one thing he cannot do. He cannot tell a lie. Amen? 
every promise, every promise is, is true and can be trusted. He is promised in His Word. Now listen to me, church. He has promised for His people that He would bless us, make us fruitful, and, and prosper us. And of course, when we hear that word prosperity, the first thing we think about is material and financial. And, and you know, God does bless us in that way. But in the, in the first chapter of Psalms, he talks about the man, that, the, the man, the woman that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly and does not stand in the way of sinners and does not sit in the seat of the scornful. But, but, but their delight is where? In the law of the Lord. And in the law of the Lord, in the Word of God, they meditate day and night. The Word of God, that, that's what we've been singing about tonight. More of Jesus, more of His grace, more of His glory. To seek more of His face. And it's right here in this book. And the more that we meditate on the Word of God, the more that we get the Word into our heart and life, the more we're transformed and changed into His image and into His likeness. Amen? But the psalmist said, in His law, in His Word, does that that person meditate, that man of God, that woman of God meditate day and night. And he said, here's the promise, and he or she shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which brings forth their fruit in their season. Their leaves shall not wither, and whatsoever they do shall prosper. See, that is the blessing of the Lord that he's given to us to bless us, to make us fruitful, to prosper us if we will just abide in Him and dwell in Him. I believe that's true. I can expect that if I, if you, if we will do what the first part of that verse said, He'll do the rest of it. He'll take care of us, amen. He's promised to bless us. He's promised to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. He said that the, that, that the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. He's promised that, that all that would desire and ask for the infilling of the Holy Spirit would be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is the promise of a God that cannot lie. He's promised to give you and I everlasting life, eternal life to each and every one who will believe, who will come to the Lord and come to the Lord Jesus and come to the cross. He has promised in his word to heal our bodies, to touch our lives, to meet our needs. Come on, somebody. And I can tell you one thing, a promise that I'm really looking forward to. He has promised that he's coming back again to get his church and to take us to glory. I'm telling you, he cannot lie. If he said it, he is going to fulfill that word in our lives. Come on, amen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. He cannot lie. For God to lie would be against his nature because God hates lying. Woo. Felt a cool breeze come through. And that list, and that list of things that God hates, seven things that God hates in Proverbs 6, two different times he mentions a lying tongue and false witnesses who speak lies. So God to lie would be against his nature. No, it's impossible for God to lie. He cannot lie. So when you get a promise, it's true. Believe it. Believe it. Stand on it. Claim it. Amen? Amen. Woo! Hallelujah. Anybody having fun yet? Yes, secondly, secondly, God cannot change who he is. Hmm. 
He cannot change who He is. Malachi 3.6, God made a statement. He said, For I am the Lord, I change not. So it's impossible then for God to change who He is. Now, <laughs> the world out here today has, they have a certain mindset. Now listen to me. They have a certain mindset of the kind of God they want. And, and Paul talked about that in Romans, that they would change God into what they wanted God to be, the incorruptible God into a, a corruptible creature, and they, they just make God to be whatever they want God to be. And that's kind of a popular thing today, is to just make God whatever you want God to be. But, you know, that's not the way God is. God's, God's not going to change who He is. The world today, and, and even, even some churches today, they, they want a God that offers a lot of benefits but doesn't require a lot of responsibility. I mean, that's kind of, that's some of that, uh, that's for y'all that was here this morning, that's some of that leaven that has crept into the church, you know. I, I want a God that will bless me but not require anything of me. I want a God that will take care of me, but I don't have to give him the time of day if I don't want to. Come on, somebody, you're getting too quiet on me. Not requiring a lot of responsibility. The world has made up that kind of a God today, but that's, you know, you can't change God and put God into the kind of mold that you want God to be and make him the kind of God you want him to be because he said, I'm the Lord, I ain't changing. Woo, hallelujah. They want a God that will wink at sin. They want a God who will be, that will not be too demanding of them. They want a God today who doesn't get in the way of their leisure or their pleasure. Oh, but he's always there when they need him. Come on, somebody. Now, don't bother me, God, when I miss church uh, all the time, you know, to go, to go fishing or I better quit. Don't mess with my playtime, Jesus. Don't mess with my leisure time, Lord. I'm gonna do what I wanna do, what I wanna do when I want to do it, but if I need you, I still expect you to be there. See, that's the kind of God that the world and the church is trying to make God out to be. But can I tell you tonight, he's not that kind of a God. He's the God that we find in this book and the God that we find revealed to us in the pages of this Bible. And he's not going to change for you. He's not going to change for me. He's not going to change for anybody. But they want a God that they can put in their mind and make him what they want him to be. But can I tell you, God does not change. Paul said that they've changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. But I'm here to tell you that the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and he'll be the same tomorrow. He's the same forevermore. He does not change. 
change, amen? The Jesus that we read about in the Gospels, the Jesus that I have been preaching to you about from the Gospel of Mark for several months, that is the same Jesus that is alive and well and that is seated on the right hand of the majesty on high tonight and that is the same Jesus that will split the clouds of glory very soon and blow the trumpet of God and catch his church and his bride away to be with him in glory. He has not changed and he will not change who he is. Hallelujah. So God cannot lie. God cannot change who he is. If he used to be a healer, he still is. If he used to fill people with the Holy Ghost, with the speaking in other tongues as the initial physical evidence, he still does. Glory to God, he hadn't changed. The cessationist teaching is totally false and wrong. Has no biblical foundation whatsoever. But tongues have ceased. You know, they took one little part of a verse from 1 Corinthians 13. Tongues shall cease. Well, it also said knowledge shall vanish away, but they don't say anything about knowledge being gone. Everybody still has knowledge. I could go in. Uh, we won't do that. But he's still saving. He's still filling believers with the Holy Ghost. He's still... He still has, operates the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He's still the same. He's not changed. The New Testament, he's the same God of the New Testament church that he was from the very beginning in the book of Acts. But the third thing, we got to get through this. The third thing that God cannot do, he cannot lie, he cannot change who he is. And the third thing is, this is very simple, but we need to be reminded. The third thing is, God cannot, it's impossible, he absolutely cannot fail. Now one, one, one preacher made the statement one time that said that God was the biggest failure in the Bible. Now that's borderlining on blasphemy if you ask me. God is not a failure. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God cannot fail. Listen to what, he, what the psalmist said in Psalm 89, verse 33. Nevertheless, he said this, Nevertheless, my loving kindness, I will not other, utterly take from him, nor, listen, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. My covenant I will not break. How many know, oh hallelujah, that we have a covenant tonight with God that's been ratified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? And he said that covenant, the covenant that I have made, my covenant, I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. In Deuteronomy 7 and verse 9, he says, Therefore know that the Lord your God, He is God. Listen, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations. And that's another way of saying forever and forever that He will keep covenant and He will show mercy forever to a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. 
He is a God that is faithful. He is a God that will not fail, but will hold to the covenant as long as we stay in the covenant ourselves. Amen? Have you ever been through something? And I'm sure you have. I know I have. But you've gone through something in your life where it seemed like God has failed you. Has anybody ever felt that way? Well, God's let me down. I know. I know. You know, you, I'm the only one that has. I'll admit it. I'll admit it. I have. And uh, I've felt that way. And that's one of the things that Satan loves to tell people. Well, God sure failed you this time. God didn't come through. You ever had a loved one that you was praying for to be healed and maybe they didn't get healed? And Satan says, well, see, God failed you. Well, God didn't. God can't fail. Listen to me, church. I said, God cannot fail. He's a faithful God. He's faithful to his word. If there's anybody misses it or fails, it's got to be on our side because God cannot and will will not fail you. He will hold to his covenant. He will keep his covenant and he will never fail. But we've all been in that place at one time or another and been through experiences where we felt like that God has let us down and failed us. Mary and Martha were in that same situation, you know, when Lazarus, their brother was sick and they sent word to Jesus. I mean, Lazarus was very sick. They said, they said Jesus, he whom you love is sick, come and heal him. And they were just sure that Jesus was going to come right away and, and heal Lazarus and everything would be all but Jesus stayed where he was and waited there for a couple of more days before he left. And by the time he got to Bethany, by the time he got to Bethany, um, Lazarus had already been died and been put in the grave and was dead for four days. But here Jesus was a close family friend. I mean, he loved Lazarus, but he seemed, it seemed that Jesus was ignoring the request that they made to come and help them. And so Lazarus has been dead for four days and when Jesus Jesus gets there, the first thing Martha and Mary think is, you're too late. If you would have been, isn't that what they said to him? You, if you'd have been here, if you'd have been here, they're a little bit ticked. They are. If you'd have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Why didn't you come? And in other words, they're kind of saying to Jesus that they felt like that they felt like that you failed us. You didn't get here on time. If you'd have been here, but it's too late now, Lord, it's beyond your ability. Oh, glory to God. Can I tell you something? That it ain't never too late. That Jesus is always on time. Hallelujah. He may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. He's on time. God tonight. Yes, he is. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. But they were a little bit upset with the Lord and they said, well, you should have been here. They felt like Jesus had let them down. But he didn't. He didn't. He didn't fail them. He proved himself faithful to them even after Lazarus was dead. When the daughter of Jairus was sick, Jairus runs to where Jesus is and falls at his feet. He's the ruler of the synagogue and he falls at the feet of the master. And he said, my, my, my little daughter's at home. She's at the point of death. She's very sick. Would you come? If you will come and lay your hands on her, she will be healed. She'll be well. And Jesus heads that direction. 
And he's on his way and he stops. You know the story. He stops to minister to the woman with the issue of blood who is, he reaches out, touches the border of his garment. She's instantly healed of an issue of blood that she's had, a disease she's had for 12 long years. So Jesus takes time to minister to the woman with the issue of blood. And while he's ministering, people come from Jairus' house with the bad news. Oh, there's always those that love to carry bad news. Amen. I imagine when that little girl died, they couldn't wait. They probably drew straws. Hey, I want to be the one to go give the bad news. Amen. Oh, you know what we don't need today is a lot of bad news. We need to hear some good news. We need to hear some good news. And right here, I've got the good news tonight. The good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. As cold water to a thirsty soul, Proverbs said, so is good news from a far country. I've got some good news that's come from a long way off. It's come from heaven itself. The good news is that God cannot and will not ever fail you or let you down. Hallelujah. Come on and give him a praise. Woo, glory to God forever. But they came to him and, you know, don't bother the master. She's dead. Don't trouble Jesus anymore. It's too late. Jesus looked at Jairus and he said, don't be afraid. You just keep believing. Never a time to stop believing. But it appeared that Jesus had failed. It appeared that he had let Jairus down. It appeared that he didn't hold to his promise that he had said that he would do. Trouble the master no farther. It's too late. She's dead. But can I tell you, you know the rest of the story. Amen. We didn't need Paul Harvey to tell us that one. You, you, you know the rest of the story. It was not too late. It was not too late. Jesus went in there, you know, and, and, and he said, this, this little girl's not. They was all more mourning and crying and weeping and carrying on. And he said, she's not dead. She's only asleep. I ministered last Monday night at the funeral service of Brother Mike Settles and preached along those lines in that funeral message. The, the metaphors of death. And one of those metaphors of death for the believer that the Bible gives us is that of sleep. And Jesus affirmed that and said, she's not dead, she's only asleep. Her body's just asleep. Well, they began to, they went from crying to laughing. They began to laugh him to scorn. They knew she was dead. But Jesus spoke to her and woke her up. I love what he said, you know, about Lazarus. When he told the disciples, he said, he said, Lazarus, we gotta go to Bethany because Lazarus is asleep but I'm going there to wake him up hallelujah oh somebody ought to shout amen tonight praise God there is there is never a time he failed he raised that little girl from the dead and proved himself faithful to the promise he made to Jairus and I'm here to tell you that our God is faithful tonight our God will never fail you our God will keep his end of the covenant I made up my mind Brother Butch, I'm staying in under the blood and standing on the word and living under the covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ, this new covenant. And I know my God will never let me down and never fail me. He is always faithful. Hallelujah. Amen. Woo. Hallelujah. Well, I've got you shouting. I don't want to knock the props out from under you. 
I don't want to do that. But the fourth thing that God cannot do is He cannot look upon sin. Now don't get quiet on me. Habakkuk. There's another place your Bible's probably pages are stuck together. (laughs) Habakkuk 1 and 13, the prophet said, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, speaking of God, and can not look on iniquity. Now we know that God sees sin. That's That's not what it's saying. He does see it, but the meaning here is that He does not look upon sin in your life, my life, or anybody's life with approval. Are you with me? I said He doesn't look on sin if we have sin in our life. He cannot approve it. He will not condone it. He will not tolerate it. And He will not ignore it. So it's up to you and I then to do something about it if there's sin there. Amen? And I said, well, I don't know if there's any way. Yeah, you, 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 you know. But God just does not sweep sin under the rug or pretend that it's not there, that it doesn't doesn't exist. But God deals with the sins in, listen, He deals with sin in the life of the believer. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad that He does. Amen. If there's that little bit of leaven we talked about this morning that's in an individual's heart or life, if that leaven is there, I won't listen. I want the Holy Spirit to deal with me about that. I want Him to show me, hey, I want the Holy Ghost to put His finger on that and say, hey, Hensley, you've got a problem here. You need to get straightened out, amen, and get that out of your life. I'm glad that He doesn't overlook it. I'm glad that He don't condone it. We have those that are teaching today that God just overlooks the sin uh, in the life of a believer, that once you've been saved or born again, when you sin, you don't have to confess it. You don't have to ask for forgiveness. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to repent because God just overlooks it. He is of purer eyes, the Bible said, of purer eyes than than to overlook sin. He won't look upon it with approval. He sees it in the life of the believer just as he sees it in the life of an unbeliever. But the thing about it is he will deal with you about it and thank God there is a remedy for it tonight that it doesn't have to stay there. That God God has given us the blood of Jesus to wash it away. Woo! Amen. That's the good news. The Bible tells us over and over. You know, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Who's he talking to? Who's he writing to? Christians, the church, the believers. He's not writing to the Gnostics. That's what the hypergrace people teach, that he's writing to the Gnostics, trying to get them to confess their sin, the people that are in, in false doctrine, trying to get them to repent. He said, if we, he's including himself, if we confess our sin, he is faithful. Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us, who? The believer from all unrighteousness. Thank God there's a remedy for our sin. Amen? 
You know, he said, John said, I write these things to you, little children, that you do not sin. That's the bottom line. He does not want you to sin. He does not want me to sin. But then he went on and said, but if he knew we was going to mess up, but if any man sin. Thank God we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sin of the whole world. Woo! That makes me want to shout. It's been a shouting day for me. I couldn't even get my nap today. I was so wound up. Been wound up all day long. Glory to God. You all pray for me that I don't unwind, that I stay wound. Woo, hallelujah. Amen. Thank God that he does forgive sin. Thank God Jesus paid the full penalty, the full penalty for sin when he died on the cross of Calvary. As John said, they're not for our sin. He's the, the propitiation. That's a big word. That means the atoning sacrifice, the satisfaction. Jesus, Jesus atoned for all sin, for ours and for the sin of the whole world on the cross. So when you mess up and you blunder and you sin and you say something or act in some way or do something that is wrong, you don't just ignore it and sweep it under the rug and say, well, God doesn't see my sin. He, do, he doesn't recognize my sin. You ask for forgiveness right then and there, and you repent, and you tell the Lord, I'm sorry, and you ask Him to help you by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit, you take it to the cross, and you ask Him to help you not to do it again. Don't make promises. Don't go to promise Him, oh God, I promise you I'll never do that again. For sure as the world. Tomorrow, you're going to do the same thing again. You know why you will? You know why I can guarantee you that? Because you're putting confidence in yourself, putting confidence in the flesh, putting confidence in your own ability. And there is no way. It's not I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. It's got to be he in me that is greater than he that is in the world. My faith and dependence has to be on him and what he has done. And then you just tell him, you know, Lord, help me. But I won't do it no more. No more. I'm done with it. By your help and by your grace. Amen. But it can't look upon sin. I guess I better close. Whew, man. You know the thing about God's forgiveness? is that when he does forgive, Mm -hmm. that sin, whatever it was, was, is blotted out. And God doesn't remember it. He wipes it from his remembrance completely. That's one thing that he can do, is forget your sin. And my sin, I'm glad he does do that. He said, I will blot out Isaiah 
43:25, I believe he said, I will blot out as a thick cloud your transgressions and your sin and your iniquity. I will remember no more. Once you, you know, once you've asked for forgiveness uh, for a sin, if that thing keeps coming back to your mind, it isn't God bringing it back. It isn't God chastening you with that thing. It isn't God holding that over your head. Listen, the blood of Jesus Christ has already washed that thing away. If that comes back, that means that Satan is condemning you. God is not. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus and are under the blood of the Lamb. That's the devil that's bringing that condemning thought back. And you've got to deal with Satan and say, you get behind me in the name of Jesus. The blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed me from all sin and iniquity. Amen. God wants you to walk in victory and live in victory over sin. But number five, I guess we'll go to number five and go home. Number five, things that God cannot do. Number five, God cannot save anyone who will not believe in Jesus Christ and His finished work at Calvary. The Bible says, He that believeth, and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. He became the author, the Bible says, of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. And I think you all know me well enough and have been under my ministry long enough to know that I believe that there is, I don't believe this, I know this is a fact, that there is no other way that anybody any place, at any time, anywhere is going to heaven without knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Amen. Now there may come a day where, where they'll tell me I can't say that. And you know what will happen that day? I will get behind the pulpit and I will say there is no way that anybody at any time at any place, anywhere, can go to heaven without knowing Jesus Christ and having the blood of Jesus Christ applied to their life. Woo, hallelujah. Amen. Well, don't you know that Beto, Bozo, whatever is gonna take away your tax exemption and the churches are going to be taxed and praise God. Well, you know what? Give us that boldness, Lord, to continue to speak your word. We will not back up. We will not back down. We will not give up. We will not stop. Hallelujah. We will preach the cross. We will preach the blood. We will preach Jesus as the only way of salvation. Amen. Nobody, God cannot save anybody without them putting their faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. It's not faith in Jesus plus confession to a priest. I'm, I'm digging myself a deeper hole. I, I better...
God cannot save anyone against their will. God never forces anybody. Worship team, come on, make your way back. I gotta, I gotta bring this too close. God never forces anybody to accept Him and to do His will. The relationship of, of, of the individual with God is, is entirely and completely on a voluntary basis. Now those who believe in the, in the five points of Calvinism, one of those points is... Um, I forgot the one I was, I was thinking of. But uh, anyway, it says that that you can only be saved if you've been predestined and elected to be saved from the beginning. And that God predestines some to be saved and go to heaven and predestined from the beginning of time, then others to die and go to, to, to be lost and go to hell, and that there's nothing that anybody can do about that situation. And that's just not, that's just simply not taught in the Word of God. God never forces irresistible grace. That was the, the point of Calvinism I was trying to think of. Irresistible grace that says that if you're one of the elect that has been predestined to be saved, that God will deal with you and you cannot resist that. That you will get saved whether you want to or not. That you can't resist God's grace. But I've got, you know, there's all kinds of scriptures in the Bible that tells us and shows us examples of God reaching out to individuals with His love and with His mercy, and they resist. God will not force anybody to get saved. Your relationship, my relationship, is an entirely voluntary thing. But I can tell you this, amen, and there's no such thing as, as limited atonement that Jesus only died for the elect. He died as our poor a while ago, John said, not for our sins only, but also for the sins of how many? The whole world. God so loved how many? The world that he gave his only begotten son that how many? Whosoever will. Hallelujah. It's not just a certain elect, but it's whosoever will believe on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, the spirit and the bride say, Come, let him who is a thirst come and take of the water of life freely. Whosoever will, let him come. Hallelujah. Oh, there's fountains of living water in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. But he is the only way. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. Woo, hallelujah. So God cannot save anybody that refuses the pardon that he's offered. I had a good illustration, but I'm going to pass. Stand with me tonight.